appropriate to occasions such as this are not capable of being found. No word can convey exactly the right meaning for all those who are here. One wants to assuage the grief of the families of those who have been taken from us by this accident. No word is sufficient. One wants to convey the sense of loss which all here share, whether students or family, friends or university faculty and staff. No words seem sufficient. One wants to convey hope. Hope is needed because there seems to be no rationality to what has happened and each of us wants to find some reason for a ransom and tragic event. No words seem sufficient. One wants to convey a feeling that those so recently gone lived happy and active lives, whatever their length, and that we should take that as solace. But, again, no words seem sufficient. However insufficient are words, I share your grief and your sense of loss. Like you, I search for reasons and justifications and finding none ask, as you must also be asking, why? In the end, you and I cannot change what has happened. It is irrevocable. We must accept it and rely on faith that in God's plan for us, there is reason not always known to us. As importantly, we must do all we can to help those still living whose lives have been tragically altered by the disaster that brings us here. Those most directly affected by this tragedy need our kindness, our thoughts, and our sympathy in the days ahead. Hundreds of people have expressed to me their sympathy with the Evansville community, the University of Evansville, the university's athletic department, and the families of those now gone. These expressions are genuine and show that people, Hoosiers and non-Hoosiers, have a basic sense of oneness with others in time of loss. They and I will be thinking of and praying with you in the days ahead. Those are the words of Indiana's Governor Otis R. Bowen the day after my own Evansville community was affected by one of the most tragic events to ever hit our riverfront city. On December 13, 1977, Air Indiana Flight 216 carrying the University of Evansville's basketball team, the Purple Aces, a staple of the community, crashed shortly after takeoff. There were no survivors. I'm Noah Fisher, and I'm a student at the University of Southern Indiana. I love sports and I love history. Whenever I learned of this tragedy from a plaque at a chain fast food restaurant called Freddy's, I started looking more into it because I could not believe what I saw at first. How had I never heard of this tragedy that happened in my own community? Why was I in the dark? And if I was, were other people too? Did Evansville bury this tragedy along with those who perished? And if so, why? This podcast, my senior project, Air Indiana Flight 216, A Night and Morning, is an attempt to find answers to these questions. The University of Evansville was a Division II program, and from 1957 to 1976, Evansville, Indiana was one of the premier basketball programs in the country. In that time, Evansville won the Division II National Championship five times under Coach Arad McCutcheon and Evansville legend. But in 1977, Evansville would be making the jump to Division I, and there was excitement in the air. Rich Davis, who worked at the Courier and Press for many years, worked at the Courier at the time of the crash. He can remember the excitement in the air before that season started. What happened was, 
Evansville was moving to Division One, and the whole town was excited. That excitement was mixed with sadness, as they were losing their famed coach, but were expecting to get the next best thing, Jerry Sloan. Sloan was a University of Evansville graduate and was retired from the NBA where he played with the Chicago Bulls. He was looking to begin his coaching career. As a player, Sloan had helped lead UE to two national championships in 1964 and 65, and averaged a double-double in points and rebounds for his college career. He was a big, powerful shooting guard in his time, and the city and town were looking forward to welcoming him back after his career was cut short by injuries. After accepting position at UE, days later Sloan had a change of heart. He resigned and instead took up an assistant coach job with the Chicago Bulls. Sloan has never expanded on why he quit the job before he had actually started, but people I talked to think it is because he lost a key recruit and a coach he thought were coming with him. Sloan spoke to Joe Atkinson, assistant professor of communications at the University of Evansville and writer, producer, and director of the documentary From the Ashes, the University of Evansville Purple Aces. According to Atkinson, he almost got Sloan to open up about his quick exit from UE, but in the end, the vault remained sealed. So with Sloan in the rearview mirror, UE went with another coach, a young, eager coach to begin his career as a head coach. Mike Blake is an Evansville broadcasting legend and has been at WFIE for over 50 years. I got acquainted with Mike through the Midday with Mike television program, but most people associate him with sports in the Evansville area. He can remember how the city felt about their new young coach. Uh, a few months later, uh, they hire a guy named Bobby Watson from Oral Roberts, and he was dynamic. And whether you were a, a student, uh, a big tip donor, uh, the average uh, fan, Johnny Sixpack, or if you're a member of the media, he, he communicated with all of us, and people were, they were just thrilled, and they had, I don't want to say forgotten about Sloan, but it was like, hey, we're over that, we're going forward, we got our coach. Bobby Watson attended Bethel Park High School in Pennsylvania and played his college ball at Virginia Military Institute. Watson would serve in the Vietnam War, and after an 18-month tour would become an assistant at Xavier University. His coaching path would take him from there to Wake Forest and to Oral Roberts University. Along the way, he also got in some head coach experience at Ferrum College. When Watson got the job at UE, he and his family were welcomed into the community with open arms, especially after he claimed he would stay at the university as long as they would have him. Evansville, Indiana was, at the time, very enthusiastic about their basketball program and what was happening with it. Stan Blackford was a student at the University of Evansville and also wrote for the newspaper The Crescent at the University. It was about the biggest thing in Evansville at that time. It just felt like uh, in order to compete and be a successful program like they were, they needed to be playing the higher competition. Evansville, Indiana is a city that sits on the Ohio River and is mere miles from Henderson, Kentucky. Though the river may have brought its first residents here, it's the roads that keep everyone connected today. Evansville is within a short driving distance of other major cities such as Indianapolis, Louisville, and St. Louis. This strategic position affords the city the opportunity to send its manufactured goods across the country. 
Evansville is most known for their war efforts during World War II, which had the city producing ammunition, P-47 aircrafts, and landing ship tanks which sailed down the Ohio. Evansville's efforts have been remembered and memorialized at multiple museums around town. Regionally, we are also known for our large fall festival and for our food culture, which revolves around Grippo's barbecue potato chips, ski soda, and Azip pizza. The feeling residents had in 1977 is one of excitement. Stellar recruits could have chosen much more established schools chose Evansville instead. There was a fresh feeling revolving around being in Division I, and an exciting and hard-working coach had the city in a state of optimism that could not be beat. This feeling would not last for long, as the Aces started 1-3 and, and their season would tragically end there. I was actually covering a high school game at Roberts Stadium, and of course, as we know, it's well chronicled. It was a lousy night weather-wise, and I was getting back to the station. I think the crash was about 25 minutes after seven. Well, I got to the station around eight o'clock. I did covered a couple of games, one at Harrison, and then at the stadium. And as soon as I walked in, we come in with the news. We come in through the back door where the cars are parked, and we put our equipment in a certain room. And I could look into the newsroom and what was very rare, Noah, our general manager, who was there most of the day, but rarely at eight o'clock at night, he just looks at me and he said, it's the Aces. My note taking didn't help to take notes because my notepad and my ink and everything was smearing in the rain. So I was just trying to memorize and, and take in everything I saw. And you could see the tail of the plane up on the, the hill at the top of the ravine. I could see some planes. Air Indiana Flight 216 to Nashville was scheduled to leave Evansville at 4 p.m. on December 13, 1977. From Nashville, the Aces would board a bus and drive the rest of the way to Murfreesboro. Tom Collins was a writer for the Evansville Courier. He received an unexpected call from Bobby Watson. The flight was delayed. The interview would have to be done at the airport before they left. The interview was planned to be used in the next printed paper. The plane the Aces would board came into Evansville around 7 p.m. and as the Aces filed into the cabin, the flight crew worked quickly with the luggage to make up for lost time. The plane taxied to the runway and was cleared for takeoff. From the moment it started to accelerate, something was off. The plane struggled to get into the air and when air traffic control asked the pilot for the status of the plane, the pilot responded with, stand by. The plane wobbled from side to side and turned around to head back to the airport. It wouldn't make it there. Within two minutes of taking off, the plane crashed into the ground and burst into flames. The muddy conditions and location of the crash being in a ravine not accessible by roads made it difficult for people to find the scene of the crash. It would take 20 minutes before firefighters could get to the scene. 
by the time they got there, most victims had already perished. There was one brief glimmer of hope when one survivor made it to the hospital, but ultimately he too could not be saved. The 29 passengers and crew were all killed. As spectators showed up and asked how to help, they got emergency workers telling them the best thing they could do was to leave. A train containing the wreckage went along the tracks as people stood by watching. Sarah Bow and Sue Wilder were students at the university at the time and gave us insight into the hours after the crash as well as how it affected their classes and campus. I heard the girls screaming up and down that hallway. And um, in the room next to me, I was not such a big basketball fan, but I had seen the guys, I knew the guys. In the room next to me were two girls who had come from the same small town that two of the basketball boys had come from, and they knew them. One of them was engaged to them. She was out of her mind, screaming with grief. anywhere without talking about it and we decided as our small little group of 10 or so we just needed some space we needed a timeout and it sounds irreverent but what I know about psychology and what I know about needing a timeout from something like that this makes sense of what we did maybe that was the benefit of leaving us together yeah I think it was is we piled into cars, so whoever, only a couple of us, only a couple of them have cars, I didn't. We decided we were going to go see a movie. So, Smokey and the Bandit had come out. <laughs> the city and university had a weird aura around it for a while, and students were not equipped with the knowledge of exactly what to do and how to handle the situation. The crash raised lots of questions, and people wanted answers. Some people speculated the weather might have been a contributing factor, but no one knew for sure. Before the debris was even cleared, detectives came to Evansville to try to figure it out. What was left on the plane's engines were sent to North Carolina to be inspected by the people who made them. Detectives also spoke to eyewitnesses, mostly people who lived nearby. A team of seven investigators, known as the GO Team, who worked for the National Transportation Safety Board, or NTSB, were called into Evansville hours after the crash. They had this title because they could be called to the scene of a crash 24-7 anywhere in the country to start the process of solving why it crashed. 
The answer came on August 17, 1978, after months of conferences. At that time, the NTSB divulged their findings. The plane crashed because of two reasons. First, perhaps in their hurry to get off the ground, the plane's crew failed to remove certain control locks, which are used to prevent wind damage to the plane on the ground. This meant that pilots had reduced control over the plane and didn't even realize it. Second, the composition of the plane was unbalanced and heavier than it should have been. This heavy, uneven weight distribution meant the plane was unstable. As the plane lifted off, its unbalanced load caused the plane to wobble. Pilots with their diminished control could do little to prevent the crash.